breathe. You are alive. Stillness is not the enemy. It's the only bomb. It is the spark that wakes you up. Remember who you are. Guys, you are listening to music by Galen Lee. The song, there are two actually. I started you out with a touch of her song and poem called Breathe, You Are Alive. And I brought us into the opening of The Long Way Around. Hey, I am Judy with the Wellness Renaissance Podcast. Welcome or welcome back. Galen was the winner of the 2016 NPR Tiny Desk Concert. She's a violinist, a songwriter, and a disability rights advocate. And you may have seen her here in Duluth, Minnesota, or around the country, or even around the world. She has made her way all over the place. I had the pleasure of spending time with her on Martin Luther King Day, and we chatted a lot about disability, what she would like to see changed, and how we can make that happen. We also talk about her music, her performing, and what she's been up to since quarantine happened. She's actually been doing a concert a week on YouTube that you can watch live or you can check out her archives, and we will give you all of that information in the podcast as well as the show notes. Galen and I first met in college, actually, where we shared spaces on a number of disability awareness panel conversations together. Galen was born with a genetic disorder called osteogenesis imperfecta, which is more maybe more commonly heard of by the name brittle bone disease. If you are a fan of the show Raising Dion, the character, there is a character on that show with osteogenesis imperfecta. And we actually brushed on that discussion in our conversation, but at the time Galen couldn't remember what the show was called. So there you go. We can all shout it out and help her out when she's trying to remember while you're listening to the podcast, the sort of wellness renaissance podcast version of Rocky Horror Picture Show, I guess. If you are new to Galen and you watch any of the videos, you will see that she plays the violin more like a cello. She has adapted the way she plays the violin to work for her. If you listen to her music, and I think you heard some of it in the beginning there, you'll hear layers that build into her music, often creating a sort of, well, I've seen it described as haunting, and I think that's a great description. If you watch her perform, you will see her using a looping pedal, so quite literally recording the layers of the tracks right in front of you that she sometimes plays off of with her instrument or sings with. You may have seen this. Michael Monroe, who's another Minnesota musician, uses this, and I've seen Janice Ian use this as well. It's very cool. It's just like this, you know, it starts out one instrument and it just fills the room. It's awesome. 
If you are new to the Wellness Renaissance podcast, again, welcome. This is a podcast about wellness and well-being in all forms and explores all over the spectrum of wellness. Music and disability rights, two things that arguably add to our personal community and world health and wellness. For some, the absence of music might not diminish their well-being. For others of us, it would leave a crater-sized hole in our soul and personal energy field that would be really hard to sew together. (laughs) Now, if we consider less access or diminished rights to basic things or even quote-unquote fun things for those with permanent or temporary disabilities, and that can show up in all sorts of places and all sorts of ways for folks who have a disability or just think of somebody that you know with a disability. It could be a basic need or as we talk about some today about experiencing art, for instance. And I know that some would argue that art isn't exactly necessary, but others would argue that it is an experience. It's a part of education and expression and understanding of the world. It's also about an understanding of ourself. And in my conversation with Galen today, we don't dive to the deepest levels of that discussion, but we do touch on it and many other things around that topic and beyond. So I am going to share a little bit more music as we head into our conversation in just a moment. And at the very end, I'm going to play her song called I Wait in its full and complete form fitting for our topic today. So stick around for that after the conversation for sure. Before we do dive in, thank you so much for listening. If you are new, thank you for joining us for this episode today. Please check out other episodes at wellnessrunpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast in whatever way that you do. That might be sharing the podcast on Facebook, passing on the email, just talking to somebody and letting them know about it is also a great way to pass the podcast along. Likes on Facebook, comments, I really appreciate that so much. Certainly those are ways that I have found other great podcasts and podcast episodes that I have had a chance to listen to. And for those of you Patreon supporters out there, I love you so much gratitude for helping me share the work that I'm doing, and especially the point of this all, which is the great people and their work, like Galen, sharing them with the world. So thank you so much. She is also on Patreon, and she talks about that a little bit here, too. That is how she pays for her captioning for her concerts, which is a great way to get involved and support Galen. So listen to her speak about that a little bit. And of course, I want to send out a huge thank you to my advertising supporter for this podcast episode, Green Home Solutions. Look, if you are not familiar with Green Home Solutions, they are your experts for mold, disinfection, odor, and allergen control. And you know, when we are talking about disability. So I don't know if you know of anybody who has a real serious mold reaction. I don't know if they would necessarily declare it or talk about it in a way that is as a disability, but boy, can it affect your life and your ability to function and accessing the things that you want to do. So one example is I used to have a food 
sensitivity group here in Duluth. And I had to move the group from one location to another. And what I didn't know for, I don't know how long, I probably years actually, after I'd gotten to the new location, there was one of the people that never came to the new location, which not a big deal. I, I didn't think of it as a big deal. People come and go. But I found out quite a long time afterwards that she wasn't able to come into the building that we had moved into because there was a mold there that stopped her and, and, and basically made her sick when she went there. I had no clue. And had I known that, I would have probably looked for, you know, kept looking for an additional place for us to be because we would have loved for her to continue coming to the group. She was a great asset and uh, full of wisdom and experience. So that is one experience. Perhaps you know your own, but I've known people who have literally had to leave our state and move to another state for months of the year while they ran away from mold in particular areas. So it can be a really big deal. And if you listen to some of the past episodes about Green Home Solutions, Laura Ness talks about the experience that she's had. So check it out. Think about it. If mold is something you think you're smelling in your home, please do check it out. doesn't mean that you're, of course, going to get that sick or have that type of experience at all. But it's definitely something you don't want in your body. If you can at all avoid it. So if you are here in Duluth, call 218-576-5293. You can check out their website at greenhomesolutions.com. And if you are in the U.S. and want to find the nearest office to you, you can go to greenhomesolutions.com and there is a place to enter your location. If you are not in the U.S., Well, I do not have any good solutions for you, but I do encourage you to get your mold issues checked out. And I do want to just mention really quickly that one of the things that I appreciate about Green Home Solutions is what they use to clean up the mold and to actually kill the mold, the solutions that they have have really helped people who are allergic to a lot of other chemicals that other companies are using. So they've been able to help some of those people who are in those niche niche or niche situations. So check them out. Check out what they have to offer. Okay, I know this is one of the longest intros I've ever done. Thank you for hanging in there with me. Without further ado, let's get into the shoe and listen to the music, listen to the looping. And think about this for a moment. If you're recording the looping and you mess up the looping, you have to then live with your mistake or completely start over. So consider that when you're listening to her music or especially when performing live. When two souls meet and the whole world feels new, share my last sweet. All colors bright and true And there is laughter And there are good things Growing everywhere And I'm happy to be In this place with you And I'm happy to be In this place Thank you so much for 
joining me on the podcast. This is very fun. I've been, we've been talking about doing this for a very long time. <laughs> yes, we have like a really long time, but yeah, I'm glad this is finally working out. Me too. You've been kind of, you haven't been traveling, obviously, with the pandemic. So maybe give us just a little bit of an idea of what you're, what you want to share that you're up to. Yeah. Well, so before the pandemic, my husband and I were touring pretty much full time across the U.S. and then a couple times a year internationally. And then on the way out to Colorado is when the government started shutting everything down. So we turned around and came home. And the first week we were there, like March 20th, I did uh, my first online concert on YouTube. It went over pretty well and people were saying, well, you're going to do this next week, right? And so I started thinking about it and I, I did decide to do a weekly show. So I've been doing a weekly YouTube show for, I think we're on like week 45 or something. I mean, it's pretty long into this thing, but I've, it's kind of morphed over the, the months, you know, I started out just doing me by myself and then I was doing some improvisation. And then in August, I started having a steady stream of um, special guests, mostly musicians, but a few, um, you know, visual artists and writers and stuff. And they're going well, and I really, really enjoy it. So I'm planning to keep doing them even after the pandemic um, allows us to go back out because you can have people from all over the world doing this one thing together live. And I think it's really fun. And then the other thing I've been doing is um, trying to start working on a book. So I want to write about touring as a disabled artist and the ideas of like disability pride and disability as diversity and just kind of reframing disability for people who maybe don't have a disability at this point. And so that I, I mean, I've started it and I'm working on it, but I've got to say it's been such a weird year with, I was telling you earlier, like with motivation and just kind of like focus. And so I finally have a few months ahead of me, um, you know, January through April, basically, where I don't have a lot of other things planned. And so that's sort of my writing time hardcore. And we'll see how far I get by April. I don't think realistically that I'll get back on the road till October because Mm -hmm. um, at the earliest, just because it takes a lot to book a tour and a lot of time in advance planning. And I kind of want to make sure that things really are going to happen. Once I, once I start planning, I'd like to have both my vaccines and be, you know, like pretty confident that we can do it um, before I put all the work into booking myself a whole bunch of shows. So, but I think it'll be good to just see how long the writing process takes because I've never written a book before and it's a pretty big undertaking. So not having like a set um, timeline for returning to touring. I guess I kind of want to be done with the rough drafts before I get back mm-hmm. on the road. So I think you know, it's it's fun. It's just a lot, you know, a lot of changing. It was really hard to trans, not that transition to online itself was hard, but the technology has been a real up and down, like trying to, you know, like Zoom makes an update that all of a sudden makes it impossible to do this. And, you know, all these little things I never expected to be doing as a musician um, took a while. It's it's still really, really fun, but there is constant reworking of everything right now, which I'm sure you understand. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's we're awesome. all in the I same place that way. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I mean, we're all kind of going through that together, the technology growth 
spurt, I guess. So true. Yeah. 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 The, 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 the growth spurt. And then the, like you say, the shift and change and the trying to be patient when things don't work right. <laughs> yep. It's so frustrating, but it's, it, I mean, overall it's been a rewarding process. And then, yeah, just trying to think about ways going forward, you know, I want to do more representation of minorities in my show is going forward. When I first started booking guests, basically I just texted people in my phone through the letters M and then I had stuff booked till May and that wasn't a very organized way to do it. Although it was really fun because there's a very (laughs) wide range of people, but I'm going to try to be a little more mindful about like diversifying the kinds of people that I have on and the the genres and the art forms and maybe um, plan it a little bit more carefully. But for the first year, I am really happy with how how it's turning out at this point well at the end we're let's absolutely i want to make sure that people know how to get a hold of you and get your newsletter and get the updates so they can see you know what's coming up and what you've got going on and are any of your concerts still online or like do replays or are they only live Nope. Uh, that's the fun part. That's why I do really like YouTube. They're they're live, but then I have a playlist of everything I've done since okay, March. Okay, you do have everything up there. Okay. Yep. And they and they have um in starting in August, so not right away, but starting in August, I began hiring a captioner. So all of the ones from August 9th, I believe, forward have closed captions, which I'm happy about because I want to make them as accessible as possible. YouTube's not the easiest platform to make a matchup exactly but it's definitely I mean she's a legit captioner so at least all the words are there as closely lined up as possible and I'm glad that they're available because I want to make the show as really accessible to people yeah that's awesome yeah I caught your uh your Christmas one that you did that was pretty sweet. yay that was really <laughs> fun the one with my parents right or with yes. the fiddle students no it's the one with your parents yeah, it's pretty fun. It's a little playlist. It's like the archive of the quarantine concerts. And like back on July 26th, which was the 30th anniversary of the ADA, um, I had like a showcase of seven different disabled artists, which I was really pumped about. So I'm trying I and I'm trying to just I'm sure you know this too, like disability kind of only gets attention in July, basically, like the month mm-hmm. that they signed the ADA. So going forward, I'm going to try to incorporate more disabled artists during the rest of the months when they're not just July. Um, so it's been fun to think about like the different things we, I can do going forward. So, yeah. It's weird. People with disabilities, they have them all year long. It's so- I know it's so funny. Like the New York times will do one day of coverage, which is definitely better than no days, but it's like, you could write about this stuff every month of the year. I know. Yeah, exactly. I know. It's, yeah, it's very frustrating. That's for sure. It's, I, again, like you say, I appreciate the awareness, but at the same time, it is also, it allows people to forget about it, I think, the rest of the year and, and have a, oh, well, we can do that in that one particular month. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that is what is it is. But um, overall, uh, yeah, I'm just grateful that I found a way to keep doing stuff. Um, and then I have a Patreon and I am sending like writing excerpts as I go to the Patreon supporters. And then if I come out with new music, I obviously send it to them. And then, um, you know, they support like the captions because it costs money to do that. So they're the ones that are kind of covering the cost of captions and stuff. So I feel like we've been able to piece it together financially, even during this interesting time. So it's definitely forced a lot of change, but I think a lot of it's 
positive for us. I mean, I know a lot of terrible things are happening too uh, right. around the world, but um, for us, it's forced me to kind of think outside the box in a way that's, that might be kind of cool for the long run, you know? Right. Yeah. I think there's a lot has been sort of gained. I always feel guilty saying that there's positives, but the reality is there are positives, right? Like they're just, you might as well grab the good things with the cruddy things. So. Yep. I um, think, well, for disability, especially like um, I've read a few different places, but people feel more included this year than they have in a lot of other years. And I think that's important to note as a, not just to say, (laughs) <laughs> like if you're disabled, you only need to go to concerts virtually. Cause that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying um, like the idea that some people, I don't know, I mean, with disabilities or even just young kids or older people or people with chronic pain um, who might not want to go out all the time. I think right. this virtual thing has been a pretty cool innovation that I think could and hopefully does continue beyond COVID for sure. I agree. I don't want to lose the in-person stuff because I love no. that energy. Yep, um, me too. But I have enjoyed watching so many more performers and so many things, you know, like what you're doing. And it's the people who aren't big, famous people get, you know, if you're made aware of it, you can watch it. And it's you get to see a, a lot more people as well, just get exposed to so many more yeah. people. So it's Well, cool. and I got to do like a as, you know, Crip Camp, that movie Crip Camp. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, they had a summer series of like webinars that you could just sign up for on Zoom. It's not like you were talking or anything, but you were just watching on Zoom. Um, but they were done live. And I actually got to see President Obama speak at one of those. And I remember being like, there's no way I would be able to go out and see this. Like, you know, you, you just can't do everything. And then there was one DFL fundraiser, I think, for... uh with the Princess Bride was read live um, by the original cast. And it was like, it was on Zoom. So it was very like cheesy kind of, but it was really fun. And I was like, I mean, I'm not going to ever see these people perform live probably. And it's just kind of fun to, to get access to people, not just famous people, like you're right, the smaller artists too, but also be able to experience some of the, like I did a retreat, a wellness retreat that, would normally have been really expensive, but it wasn't because it was online. And but I got to see some of these people I've read books by like speak live, and that's pretty cool. I mean, I wasn't yeah. planning on that this year. Um, you know, getting to listen to some of my favorite authors talk about their books in real right. time and stuff. I don't know. It was no, fun. I think it's it's great. I know I I haven't taken advantage of some of that stuff as much as I should. I I feel like I've I've found out about a lot of things after it's been over. Oh no. <laughs> You're like, what? That could have been really cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's kind of what we've been up to. Long story short. Sorry about that. No, short good. story long, I guess. <laughs> yes. So how has it been with the pandemic? Just like trying to uh, trying to go out in the world, because I, like you said, you know, you're concerned about going out because you are at risk more than many other folks are. Um, yeah. So how does how is that? How has that been for you? Yeah, it's been a weird year. Um, you know, I I have really small lungs. And so I don't, I'm not like immunocompromised, but because my lungs are like a third the size of regular people at my age lungs, um, I just don't want to know what would happen if I got a bad case. You know how COVID like really varies. Um, yeah. And I certainly don't want my parents to get it or anyone else I know to get it. Um, and, and it really 
it's been upsetting to know like how people at group homes have been really negatively affected and stuff. So just as a matter of principle, I don't want to be possibly catching it or spreading it. So we've been pretty locked down. Well, by pretty, I mean more than pretty much anyone I know. Um, Like we get our groceries delivered and we do, um, we pretty much just go on walks. I mean, I went inside for two doctor appointments and to put our dog down in June. Um, And that's pretty much the only indoor places I've been since March. And then we do a lot of walks, which is nice. And then luckily in November, you know, my parents, my dad is high risk and my mom's actually because of her age getting to be high risk as well. So we talked about, you know, if they were really locked down too, that we could actually hang out at their house and not have to like wear masks because we don't, we literally don't go anywhere. And so um, we started doing that a little bit before Thanksgiving. And so we have this, like, it takes a lot of communication, you know, we'll be like, okay, I'm thinking about doing this. Is that, are you comfortable with that? Or like, you know, like making sure that you're not like kind of violating the agreement. Um, mm-hmm. But it's been totally worth it because um, we got to have a pretty nice Christmas. I mean, it's not the same, of course, because it's not the whole family. But mm-hmm. we like slept over at my parents on Christmas Eve and did all the same traditions that we always did. And um, that was pretty nice. And we did that Christmas carol sing along, which you mentioned. I was like, it would be fun to do some kind of thing on Zoom that's live, but I could put it up later of just like, people singing Christmas carols. And so we put it together, but I was able to do that, you know, at their house because we go over there. So that's been good. And then, you know, just wearing masks, of course. And then now we do our laundry at my parents and stuff so that we're not in the, we live in an apartment building. So it's Mm -hmm. a a little creepy because you're sharing a laundry room with (laughs) a lot of people and not everybody, you know, takes it as seriously as everybody else. So um, yeah, it's just been, it's been mostly, the struggle hasn't been not socializing because I feel like because we can still be outside, I have seen a lot of my friends and then I do some Zooms like I have one later tonight, actually. And we've been able to stay in touch with people. The The hard part has more been the disconnect uh, that I feel with the people who aren't taking it seriously, because mm-hmm. essentially, if you're not being careful, it's not like an immediate thing, but the chain reaction is that more vulnerable people die from it. And it's like, somehow, I don't think that connection is being made where it might not be you personally giving it to someone. But if you give it to someone who gives it to someone who gives it to someone, mm-hmm. I mean, that that's how it happens. So it's been hard to kind of, you know, not be, try not to be too judgmental or anything about other people's decisions while still honoring my own beliefs about it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, everybody's going through that to some extent, but it's, it is tricky. Um, Cause I think just because of the disability, knowing that people in group homes and nursing homes are definitely the most vulnerable right now um, in general, and then other marginalized communities as well. Um mm-hmm. Just that, like, I don't see why we're not making that front and center. Like, it's about, you know, I mean, to some extent, I think Minnesota is doing a pretty good job of, but I mean, we could have been including disability specifically, like group homes, way earlier in the conversation and, like, had people from group homes talking about it at press conferences and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, really making it part of the dialogue. And I feel like it's 
it's always from the perspective of the medical care worker, but not really the person who needs the medical care. And there's, you know, it's just, I, w- I wish there was more attention paid to that part of it, but that is not, I mean, I don't rule the world. So, you know, <laughs> gotta make peace with it somehow, I guess, or like <laughs> not make, not make peace with it, but like, you know, I can't, you know, you can't fix everything in the whole Find your way to navigate world. through all of that. Yeah, but that is why back in July, I really did advocate for a, a mask ordinance in Duluth. Um, and that I am definitely part of the reason that we have one. There are other people doing it too, but um, I mean, I wrote like a million open letters to city council and the mayor and um, Governor Walls too. And I got a hold of some people that were able to kind of take that on the city council took it on when the mayor didn't um didn't so that was cool that they listened because it's like it really you know it's like we can lock down um when the cases get high but people have already died at that point you know it's like mm-hmm. let's be more proactive and try to prevent the spread rather than just responding to it you know yeah it's been hard i mean it's i you know i know people in multiple camps you know and the, some of them like, look, look, look at the data masks don't make any difference at all and other people are like i've looked at the data and masks make you know they they make a difference and i saw one doctor switch he went from masks are stupid and ridiculous too he said after the research that i've done he said i they're not 100 percent, but he said they they help you get covid less so his understanding was that it, it did actually matter how much you got in your body so if you got less of it you got covid less and that uh, that sounded kind of crazy to me and i Again, didn't go looking, doing his research. What you know, I was listening to what he said, and I listened to a few other resources that kind of duplicated that information. But so yeah. his point was, if we all wear masks and we all end up with COVID, but we get it less severely, then we have the protection from it. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I can make sense of that. I mean, for me, wearing a mask, it just doesn't seem like a hard thing to do. Um, yeah. If it if it doesn't work, whatever. My face was warm for a while. I can deal. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like the the payoff isn't that terrible. And and for me, it's like you know, nothing in this equation is a hundred percent, right? It's not like we're going to go from tons of COVID to no COVID because of any one measure. But to me, it's like if you're not going to work, because I mean, work is a totally different story. But if you're not going to work you just shouldn't probably be going inside that much and just wear a mask. And, and then it's definitely not, I mean, it's logic to think that something in front of your mouth is going to do at least something. I mean, there's no, any, any less COVID we can have is good. Like, right, right. And, And without COVID, if somebody sneezes on me, I'd rather they have a mask on. So yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing is in some other, the norm socially for a long time. And I think it's really interesting that how gross we were prior to COVID. If you think about it, like people come to work with like full blown colds and they're sneezing on their hands and like, I mean, or not staying home. And yeah, we have a lot of work to make in a world where people can afford to stay home. And if they do come in sick, they probably should wear a mask, even if they have the common cold, realistically. I mean, it's like kind of common courtesy, but you don't think of it that way because our society never right. talked about it like that. You know what I mean? So, right. so no. interesting. There's a lot of stuff, like a lot of reevaluating everywhere right now, you know, like 
hmm, this has been a big mind bender. I think my brain, it's not that I'm so, I do want to get out, of course, like everyone, but the part I'm excited to be over with is the constant having to rethink and not even just rethink, but like, just, I mean, doesn't your brain feel tired? My brain feels tired. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that because I, I sometimes I'm like, why like staying home isn't that difficult for me no. but at the same time I do think the lack of stimulation <laughs> outside the house a little bit is wearing um yep. I can deal with it like I I know that there are many people who this is just not working for them I can deal with it yes I want to get out more but I'm okay it does feel like there is just a fatigue and I I don't know how much of it is COVID and how much of it is just the state of the world and Oh yeah, there's that too. Exhaustion, I mean, holy cow. Right? Yeah. yeah it's I think so many bonkers. things came with this to make it exhausting. And and again, that whole division that we have going on. Um yeah. it just it feels exhausting sometimes because you just want to be able to not have to figure out how do I be around people because that is exhausting too. And when somebody, you know, doesn't want to take precautions and somebody else does, it's a lot of stress. I'm I'm very sad for that. I'm very sad for the politicization of all of this that I oh, think yeah, has done so much harm at a time when, you know, again, like you said, there are other cultures like Japan, you know, they wear masks for multiple reasons, you know. Yeah. Um, I was watching yeah. an episode of of Queer Eye and they were in Japan and at the end they talked about why do we wear masks and I was watching this in time of COVID and I'm like oh this is interesting they're doing like a whole pro mask thing huh and then I went wait a minute no this was filmed way before the pandemic this is just their culture they're just explaining their culture interesting (laughs) yeah I've never seen that is that a certain episode yeah well it's one of the last episodes I think from Queer Eye in Japan Oh, um, that's cool. I'll yeah. go back and find that sometime. I'll, if I if I stumble on it, I'll send it to you. Yeah. yeah. It, it but it was just surprising. I mean, it was it was one of those things I had to wrap my head around because masks had become such a thing here, and so I was like, oh wow, what an interesting take. Oh wait a minute, not and nothing to do with COVID. Absolutely. No. Zero. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like before yeah. COVID, it was just part of the culture. Yeah, right. I think the politicization is or just maybe the worst possible thing we could have done. But it's it's like. I don't know. This whole year has kind of felt like I'm on a parallel universe planet where nothing makes any sense because I'm Amen. Like, That's yeah, the I last agree. thing I expected was to have that tied to party politics. It just, I was just like, what? But just makes no sense. So no. I don't know. I still don't really understand why that had to happen, but it did. And so now we're just dealing with dealing with trying that. To, yeah, yeah, trying to get it back on track or whatever. Right. But, interesting world we're living in these days. I know, exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about just, um, I mean, there's so many things that I could talk to you about. Let's talk a little bit about, like, you've been very active in disability, disability awareness, and, you know, speaking at various conferences and in just out in the world. And like you say, being, being active with trying to just create discussion and awareness, things like that. When it comes to disability or your your perspective on disability, what are throw a couple things out there that you kind of like wish people either knew or would think about when it comes to disability or or taking disability into consideration? Yeah, um, I think the biggest shift that I want to see is just the way we talk about it um, being less charged with negative language, you know, like, um, 
and from a place of understanding that, you know, disability is, I really believe it's just another way of existing in the world, the same way that it is in like, I don't know, your race or your gender or your age, like it's a factor that makes you unique. And there's a lot of things that are, you know, you're like genetically predispositioned to a lot of different things. But for some reason with disability, it's always associated with this negative uh, language, right? And so you suffer from a disability, you're confined to a wheelchair, you're a victim of a stroke, you know, like the language we use is very charged. And, and I think the reality I wish that we, we could embrace is that, of course, some parts of a disability um, come with struggle, right? Like chronic pain or um, progressing of your illness or whatever. But a lot of disability is just literally existing in the world in a different way. And there's no reason we need to attach like negative language to it. And um, the idea, yeah, so, so, because if we did that, if we made it so that people could just be people who had this unique identity, but not, not like erasing it, like, oh, I don't see your disability, not like that. But like the idea of um, just accepting that this is what makes, this is one of the things that makes this person who they are. And it's not a positive or a negative. It's just a form of diversity. If we did that, then we could start talking about disability in a lot more interesting ways. Like I'm kind of tired on YouTube or whatever you see in your recommended videos, kid with facial deformities plays soccer, you know, and you're like, what? Like there's, there's a lot of different, I mean, and I understand sometimes those videos are made for awareness raising, but I think the approach is sketchy to me. Like, let's just talk about disability as part of someone's identity and like, and talk about what that person does in the world. Right. Or like, what they believe in and and not have to tie every single you know part of the narrative of disability to like barriers or something negative um I don't know does that make sense I feel like I'm kind of no it makes perfect sense no it makes absolute sense and I and you're right there is so much there is so much negative charge right and that's why it always feels like somebody you know as a person with a disability myself it it's the whole you have to work twice as hard because you have to prove yourself more yeah and if we don't ever talk about like disabled artists out for example outside of their disability then it's like that's how you end up with only hearing stories about disabled artists in July you know because yep. Um, that's when the ADA was signed. And that's the only time we talk about disability, where if we viewed it as diversity, which I believe it is, then we could start talking about disability in a lot of different contexts and incorporate it. I mean, like, you know, the way that I like to think we are going with like race and sexuality and gender, you know, like where where you start to see people who maybe look different or have different experiences um, kind of all over the place, not just like as a interest piece, you know, because of. It's topic. always the exception. Yeah. And if you to work twice as hard, like right now, I mean, well, first of all, it's a lot harder to tour, like nothing's accessible. I mean, not nothing, but there, I mean, there's a lot of venues that aren't wheelchair accessible for me and mm-hmm. they don't have ramps. And if I want to get a ramp ahead of time, that costs me to do more work. So I actually legitimately or like literally am working twice as hard to, in some cases, do half as much because my stories 
don't get covered unless it's in the context of disability rather than in like the broader scope of art. The one really notable exception, of course, was the Tiny Desk Contest, which I won, and that wasn't about disability. But since then, most of the bigger coverage I've gotten has been in the context of disability and not just my music or like as a as any other identity is always you know and so I don't know it's really interesting so I just think and they're missing out on other disabled artists by only talking to me you know there are other people doing what I do with disabilities out in the world I mean you make podcasts and like there's just tons of there's a lot of creatives they actually did a study in the the National Endowment for the Arts but people with disabilities make art at the same rate as everybody else but they can consume it a lot less because of barriers Mm -hmm. and I think that that's really interesting that is yeah yeah it's an interesting thing like even talking to you about this it's like well because it would be an interesting thing to just have a conversation that had nothing to do with your disability right and just talk about your music right like and we could do that (laughs) and what a boon that would be um but I you know even like doing my podcast there are times when I wonder if I had identified myself as the legally blind person doing a podcast. Yeah. Because I don't talk about my disability on my podcast very much, right? Yeah. But if I would have identified myself as that, would that have changed the perception of the work that I do? Would that have changed like opportunities, right? Because I didn't, because that is the way it is for many people. It's that's the piece that people gravitate to. And, yeah, and, yeah. and you don't, it's like, you don't get to know there's a whole other person in life that, and existence behind the scenes that, you know, you live every day and, and your, your disability affects you on a, on level, but there's a lot you do in life that's just doing life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and in my case, like my disability is very visible and I play my violin differently. And so I'm not surprised with disability comes up a lot in in my music discussions because it's pretty obvious. But in your podcast, which is about wellness, I think you should be able to talk about being legally blind when you want to. But I don't think it's necessarily how you have to center all your work around it unless that was what you wanted to talk about and in my case the reason I talk about it so much um, is because I just think we're so far behind most other minorities in terms of coverage of like like understanding not even coverage like it's the it's the understanding where we're behind like people literally every time I give a speech and I mention that I think of disability as as diversity and not something inherently negative Without mm-hmm. fail, people are like, wow, I've never thought of that. And I'm like, how have we gotten to 2021 where that's just not like how we're talking about it? And right. the reason I talk about it so much is because I just really want to push that idea forward um, that it's not like even a stigma because it's not a, it's not like a negative thing that we have to pretend isn't negative. It's I just really actually think it's diversity. I mean, if you get old, you're going to develop a disability probably right mm-hmm. and so like it's so natural and yet we have phrased it as so unnatural and um, devaluing and devaluing and like and that to me the reason I talk about it so much is just because it's really important to me to like get rid of that language for the next generation and the generation after that but but I don't think you should be forced to there's a lot of disabled artists I know who don't really want to talk about their disability and they do just want to talk about their art. And sometimes I feel that way too, but for the most part, I'm like, well, if it means that things get less 
demeaning for the future, I will do it. But it's not my first choice necessarily in every interview. It depends on the day. Isn't that funny? Like, (laughs) you're like, today, I don't mind talking about it. But, but, you know, depending on what's going on, it's not always what you want to, like, sometimes they're like, man, I wish somebody would just ask me how I made this album. You know what I mean? And yeah, uh, yeah. (laughs) very interesting. A lot going on in the brain. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, it is that opportunity to to share, you know, so many more sides of yourself, right? And then we've got a world where it's so visually focused, right? Like, how many people know that Stevie Nicks is legally blind? Not uh, very not many. Me, sorry, I did not know that. Are you serious? Yeah. It's yeah. It's I've confirmed that information a bunch. So if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, Stevie Nicks. But um, my understanding is, yeah, that she's legally blind. And I don't know if she is able to like drive or not. But the fact that she, you know, I remember hearing a story about her when she she first performed and she she had her thick glasses and then she took off her glasses. And of course, that's always the scenario, right? You take off your glasses and you're a star. Um, Oh, yeah. That's always been my my personal beef, you know, nobody. Oh ever, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. When I, I, I have sung all my life and I don't do it nearly as much as I want to, but I never was told I didn't have the talent. I was told yeah. I didn't look like a pop star. Wait, you actually got told that by other people? Oh yeah. Well, multiple times. Oh, that sucks. That's so, right. you know, you kind of just Ugh. like, it's so icky feeling. Cause you're like, well, I guess my skill set doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. And so you kind of like, I mean, again, it's just like we see that so often. If if somebody doesn't, quote unquote, look like they have a disability, you know, it's like the Miss America that was many, many, I don't remember how many years ago, who was deaf. And a lot of people yeah. said, you know, that's great. Totally cool. And yay. But at the same time, it's also it's a very comfortable disability for everybody to accept. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I think about that with my music sometimes. Um, I mean, I'm doing very well, so I don't want to sound like sour grapes at all. But I am curious, you know, if I looked different, what would the trajectory of my career be different? Because that the contest I won was a pretty big deal. But, right, yes. but and I've done a lot with it. Like I've definitely gone out and done a lot. And I've had a lot of cool opportunities. But my career does not look like um, like a typical you know, indie band career. And part of it's because there's a lot less venues that I can play, but also just, I feel like maybe people assume like writing media people, radio people, I don't know, assume that if you're disabled, the only people that will resonate with your music is other disabled people or something, (sighs) which I don't, I don't believe. I'm just saying like, you gotta, I mean, it it does make you wonder um, the appearance part of it. I think Maybe people don't talk about it, but if you look at any any person who is like mainstream, there really isn't a lot of, I mean, we're starting to get better at portraying people of different body sizes, which I think mm-hmm. is really important. But mm-hmm. in terms of like visible disability, I can't think of anyone personally. Maybe there is, but I don't think so. I mean, right? Do you have- I know that. Yeah, we've got we got Stevie Wonder. We have either yeah, been it's usually musicians are usually blind musicians. Um, but in terms of like physical, but physical differences. This, yeah, no, I'm I'm trying to think of of, uh, and I'm I'm sure there's got to be somebody out there, but not really. Not you know? a lot. I mean, yeah. Or or no. it's very minimal. Like you know, I mean, I know for sure Django Reinhardt was 
missing a couple fingers, I think, or could oh. use a couple fingers. There are definitely people who have adapted their instruments and who've made it. Um, but I just don't think we've done a great job in pop culture for sure of depicting anyone that looks physically different. And you're right, like someone who's deaf or blind, we can sometimes we sometimes those people have become, you know, more high up in the in the mainstream category but I don't know if a lot of physical disability that is like visible um yes no has been depicted because we have a certain idea of what you look like if you're a a popular musician yeah and and if they're if they're amazingly talented they're then you're like you say it's all focused on their disability and although I stand corrected a little bit because I'm trying to think I think there are a few tv shows that have started to incorporate people with physical disabilities in a more visible way. Like that one, um, oh, I'm going to not remember it, but the one about the little kid who has superhero powers, his best friend has my disability actually in the show. Oh, what is that called? But like, so I think, okay, I stand corrected too. I think it's starting to change, but this is a pretty recent change because I'm talking like in the last couple of years. So we have a long way to go. It's slow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just ridiculously overdue. Yes, exactly. That's what I mean. Is it's like, holy cow, we're just inching along. And and I kind of I think part of the reason this year was difficult is I felt like, oh, maybe the thirtieth anniversary of the ADA, maybe this will finally be the year where we make some really big strides. And then it was COVID and um the stories which are good. I mean, I'm glad we're talking about it, but people are discussing about disability largely have to do with like inequity about getting help during COVID or how much more susceptible we are to COVID or uh, like medical treatment rationing. And those are all really important, but they don't um, embrace disability as like an asset of culture because it's all about like, oh crap, let's not accidentally kill all the, like all the disabled people. Like we're not, like the, the, the narrative has been very, COVID-based and not negative, but like very barrier-oriented rather than celebrating disability mm-hmm. because that's just the kind of year it's been, I guess. And mm-hmm. But I was hoping that the 30th anniversary would be the year that we really get to like celebrate disability. And it's been more like, oh no, you can't, you know, ration our ventilators, like, and which is great. I mean, we need to talk about that because it's a hundred percent important. Um, it's just, that wasn't the year I was hoping Right. Would in of disability. And so hopefully in the next few years we can get to a place where celebrating disability can become something or at least like honoring it as like an asset to our culture rather than the you know, a vulnerable group. You know, we're always seeing right. this vulnerable group. I want that to change eventually. But it's just recognize the vulnerabilities where they are, but that's not the yes. only thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not like the only thing we have to always be discussing about disability you know so I, I don't know it's an interesting or like all, or all the barriers like yeah just celebrating what people have done and what they can do and then not only that just like the perspective that disability gives you or just the other things that you do like your podcast I mean like it doesn't have to always be always about disability well I just thinking you know maybe that's one interesting thing that could come out of COVID as we go forward because if in the narrative around disability, we now have gotten more comfortable with having things more accessible across the world, across the country. 
and then maybe maybe that can bring in more voices. Yeah, and that's how how do we do this? I think what you're doing is very important, and it kind of stinks that it's fallen on you into you know. I mean, not like you're the only one. I'm not making that point, but because you're doing you know because of the Tiny Desk concert, you've gotten out there. You have a voice in a, in a different way than you've had it before. Yep. And you're utilizing that. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's a beautiful thing that everybody I think will benefit from. And I appreciate you being willing to do that because I don't think again, you don't have to do that. Right. Yeah. You, you could say this is about my music. Right. But the fact that you are doing that, it's, it's a great thing, but it's also more in a sense, more work and more vulnerability and all of those things for you. Um, but yeah, it, you know, I'm hoping that it connects to allow for more awareness and just more people seeing more people maybe in some of these spaces and not being able to just write them off and put them in a corner. You know, yeah. I, I, do you have any thoughts like for for anyone, whether it's a person with or without a disability that people can do to just sort of like help the conversation, just making it a positive or just bringing a different awareness and to the conversation? Yeah, um, you know, I think the biggest thing you can do is kind of look at your own life and see if there are areas where you can just make what you do either open to more people or reflect the actual demographics of America. So um, uh, I did an event for the State Department a couple of years ago, and this one lady who works as like a foreign service agents or whatever she's I said you know this is really cool because it is really cool like state department is an interesting career because you move countries every three years or even less sometimes and you're just learning and so I was like well do they ever have people with disabilities because obviously I'm not qualified for the military or whatever and she's like not that I wanted to go into the military in the first place I'm just saying like I wasn't sure with the state department and she's like no we they want people with disabilities because what they want is for people to think of America as the way that it actually looks. And she's like, you know, in the media, you think of America as everybody's ages 18 to 40 white females who are really hot or whatever, like, but it, but the real America is like diverse ages, diverse races, um, diverse abilities, and like just all across the map. And that's who they want to recruit. So I kind of think about that. Yeah, in our own lives, the way you can apply that is like if you have, um, if you're planning events, have you actually thought about how who is represent like who is in your events? Who are you having be the panel speaker? Who are you inviting to show at the art gallery or be a part of your concert? And and is there a way? Not a hundred percent of the like like kind of like what I mean by a ratio of a real America one in four roughly Americans have some sort of disability. So are you anywhere near that 25% mark? Like when you're talking about who you're hiring or in your business or who you ask to be involved in your book club, are you anywhere near that number? Because that's kind of a goal that we could all be doing. And then in terms of accessibility, like if you are talking about your own home, only 1% of private homes in America are wheelchair accessible, which I think is really interesting. Is there something you could do to make your house more accessible? Or are you in charge of a Girl Scout troop? Um, is there a way that you can make sure that that's at an accessible location? Are you reaching out to kids 
you know, like of different backgrounds to be involved in your groups. You know, like there's just a lot of ways I think that we can start to realize if we're missing a key group in our lives in some way, how can we rectify that? And maybe part of it's you're missing them because it's inaccessible. Maybe you don't have any disabled kids on your Girl Scout troop because you meet on the third story of a, you know, building. And so, of course, nobody's going to come. So, I mean, there's a lot. And it's not all physical accessibility. I'm not trying to imply that, but I'm saying, like, a lot of people have told me, well, I just don't have a lot of disabled people, like, trying to come to my concerts. And it's like, well, they can't use the bathroom when they get here. So Mm -hmm. why would they come? You know, so what can we do to... And I think the biggest thing, America, because we don't fund the ADA, which I think is a real problem. And if I ruled America, I would definitely change that. But like, I don't. So um, the fact that we don't fund it, I think people have to be willing to think outside the box. Like I fund my captioning, which is expensive. It's like 500 bucks a month, basically. Um, And it's going to be more next year because the prices are going up. But the thing is, is I fund that through my Patreon which is on purpose. Like if you don't have the money to make a modification for your business, then find a creative way to fundraise for it because I'm not expecting everyone just has tons of cash laying around to make these modifications that they need to do. But but just to say, well, I don't have the money, so I'm never going to do it and I'm just going to wipe my hands of it is not the right answer. It's like, well, how can we creatively make this a reality? You know, mm-hmm. like, so that's crowdsourcing, I think, could be used for accessibility more I just want to see it move faster it's not that I you know some people are like oh you know we can't have a fundraiser for that because it's their legal responsibility to have an accessible bathroom and they don't so they shouldn't even be open but to me it's like well then the practical result is that there's just one less place for everybody to enjoy like I would rather see people creatively get behind like how do I do this because I, I know people that own like small coffee shops and and you're not working on a big margin of income right. you know but that doesn't mean I think they should never have to do anything that's where I think the creativity part comes in yeah I don't want them to be necessarily punished but but could you have like you said have a fundraiser and there'd be a lot of people who you know you randomly chip in a bucket a couple bucks to put in a ramp or to do something and yeah. you know that's what they're doing you know put that tip jar beside your other tip jar you know yeah um, or like can we round up this dollar yes we're, we're working on because the thing is is the reality is I did a show in North Carolina at a venue so I have a couple standards for myself where I won't play in a venue if people can't use the bathroom if they can't get to the stage and if they can't get in the door and that's not even ADA compliant I'm just talking like can they do those three things? And then if the, I mean, I would prefer to say I only play at ADA compliant places, but honestly, that would limit me so much right now that it's like unrealistic. So I'm like those three things I will be firm on. And then if they don't have a ramp to the stage, I I won't let them lift my wheelchair up anymore because I think that's not only degrading, it's really not safe for me or my wheelchair. So if they don't have a ramp and they won't run or build or buy a ramp, then I play on the floor. And it kind of makes this silent statement of, hey, why is she not on the stage? Oh, right. how would she get up there? So I do that. But there was one venue, um, you know, they met all the criteria, except for they didn't have a ramp. And he's like, well, I'm going to see what I can do. But without telling me, he held a big fundraiser for not just the ramp, but for other 
things like to repairs for the building. He held a big fundraiser in September and raised enough money to get a stage lift, like an electric stage lift. And he had it installed. So it's permanent installed the week before I came. And when he called, he was so excited to tell me about it. And I like almost started crying because it's like, that's what I'm talking about right there. It's like, this guy's like, okay, I don't have the money, but let's find a way to make the money so that we can make this a reality and do it now instead of like saying in 10 years, we'd like to have a ramp. You know, it was just so like, that was really inspiring to me to see somebody just like actually do the creative work at the time. Yeah, exactly. I was like, holy cow. I, this is, and the weird thing is that, I mean, I've had other people build ramps, so I'm not going to say that this venue is the only venue that's ever done anything like that, because quite a few venues have built ramps, but a lot of them don't build permanent structures, and I want it to be for everybody. So, like, what was cool about this guy in particular is he's like, well, there's a guy who comes to the open mic and he has trouble walking up the stairs. Well, now he won't have to, because he can use this thing, and it, it meant to be, like, a part of his business from that point forward and I thought that that was really cool to see it in action because that's what I dream of that's like the stuff of dreams you know yes and that he yeah he saw that bigger vision and the benefit that it was going to bring other people and it will probably do him way more than he realizes and then the other thing is, too, is that then I'm guessing he never had you feeling like I did this for you. You should be grateful. No, he was excited. He's like, this is for my thing. And and I really hope that a bunch of disabled artists go play there. I mean, I definitely mentioned him in other interviews. Um, it's called the Feed and Seed in uh, North Carolina, right out of sight of Ash, Asheville. But like um, the reality is, even if they don't, it's still the right thing to do. And that was the cool thing is he just got it. He got it from all angles. It was, I mean, I'm hoping that he's used it a lot and that he's super glad he got one, but I think he knows that that is just like what you do. If you say, like, I'll, it always drives me up a wall when I see uh, in businesses those signs that say everyone welcome here, but then they're not accessible. And you're <laughs> like, oh man, you are really missing the point of that sign. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's just the right thing to do if you want to be a welcoming place. You just got to figure it out. And sometimes, honestly, that means moving to a different location. And I don't feel bad saying that because people move houses all the time. Like if you can't afford an elevator and you're on the second floor, then you should probably start looking for another place to do business out of. And it's not the end of the world. Like it's a priority because you really want to be welcoming and and if you don't have the capital to to pay for a thousand you know a hundred thousand dollar elevator which i know they're like ridiculously expensive that's that's fine but that does i still don't think that takes you off the hook like personally i think then you got to start thinking well my 10-year plan is to get a different lease or to sell this building and get a different one because i i want to be accessible and that's what i think the damage of not learning about disability or disability rights in school has done because most people don't cover that curriculum in elementary school or high school. I didn't. I mean, I imagine that you didn't either. Did you talk a lot about disability rights? Not a lot. No, no. I think we did in random little places, but they were not incredibly. It was always that special thing, right? It wasn't normalized. It wasn't a part of the world. It was Well, like for me, like when I learned about the 504 sit-in, which I'm assuming you know about, but in case 
people listening don't know, it's that the they wanted to get Section 504 added on to a bill that gave people with disabilities like uh, rights to was it like access to public buildings and then like equal rights to services or something? I don't know the exact language, but it was kind of the first disability rights law and it wasn't getting signed. And so they took over a federal building in, uh, was it California? I think it was, but Mm -hmm. they took over a building for like 21 days or something. And it's the longest sit-in of anyone in America. And it's done by, it was done by disabled people who had to like, coordinate their care and their the Black Panthers chipped in and like this um, there was a gay liberation movement that like helped and they would bring them food and stuff and it was like the coolest cross-sectional activism and I heard about it when I was 33 and I was like I really wish I had learned about this in school because disability can be a really powerful narrative if you learn about the really powerful things disabled people have done you know like Helen Keller didn't just learn to talk or like sign like Helen Keller also went on to be like a pretty radical activist and then wrote a really amazing autobiography where I'm like man her story did not end there it started there and we only learn about the like disability specific part of her life and I think that's a shame too because it's like man and how many other people could we be learning about in school where we suddenly see disability as like but yeah, an integral, natural, I mean, disability has been around since humans have been around. So it's not like, it doesn't deserve to be left out of every single narrative. And it's something people go through in temporary parts of their life, right? That, that too, yep. You know, they hurt themselves or whatever. And I don't consider that, I mean, you don't, you don't break your leg for, you know, for however long and then understand <laughs> all that is disability. Yeah. But it's but it is a thing that if we if we made things more normalized to talk about it, it makes people's other differences more like they're just a thing. Right. And they get can be talked about more. But when we shade disability and negativity, it has has us hiding many other things out of the fear of we don't want to be, quote unquote, treated like that. Right. Yep. Well, there's an interesting thing. So I. I mean, I'm sure my Patreon team is not a representative sample of the world, but I have a Patreon team of about 240 people right now. And they, I, once a month, I do this Patreon chat and somebody requested that this time we talk about disability and disability rights. So I was like, sure. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know if they'd want to, but that was like what they requested. So we did that. And there were maybe 12 people that came for that chat that day. Um, and I, I, the opening question was like, what is your relationship to disability? Because a lot of people maybe don't have a disability, but their mom did. And you would never know by looking at them, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, or or they, their son has one or, or they have a hidden disability, um, you know, or they were disabled from this thing, an accident, and now they don't look disabled or whatever. And so it was really interesting because I think if we could talk about it more, it would become really clear that if you don't have a disability, you certainly know someone whose life was affected by disability. And it's not this like unique thing. Every single person in that room, even the guy who's like, well, I don't really have a lot of personal experience with it, except for I'm an architecture. What's the word? An architect. That's the word. I'm an architect. And it's really hard to convince people like the importance of building in ADA codes. And it really frustrates me that 
it's like put down low on the priority scale. So even he works with disability indirectly, right? And so mm-hmm. I think everybody has a connection to it if they honestly give it some thought, but we're never asked to think about how it affects us or how we're connected to it in right. a society, you know? Yeah. Pers- yeah. Yeah. So that was eye-opening to me. It is, yeah, it is, and and you almost have to put yourself in a space to have that discussion. And I would, I would, we like need like town hall meetings that just have general discussions and people just come and chat, like just <laughs> yep. create the salon of that. That something almost has to happen to cause us to have those discussions. And I think, you know, it's the best thing, best part about college. That's what I love about being in college is those conversations and those different opportunities that, as the general public, you often you know, don't get unless you put yourself there. Ted, Ted talk alone and you don't have anybody else to talk about it with and you mm-hmm. don't get to have the rich of the discussion, right? Agreed. I think um, I think it would be a big change, a big positive change if we did incorporate disability history and disability rights into K through 12 and then obvious and then into like an intro level college course so that everybody has taken at least a few passes at learning about disability history so that you can, these conversations would come up more naturally. Like, it's kind of hard to, like, like I mean, I think Duluth did not do a great job talking about racism, personally, where I grew up, like, going through school. I mean, it, it was that whole classic thing of, like, and then the civil rights movement happened, and everything is great. And that was sort of the message I took away. And I felt really, like, uneducated this summer where, you know, with George Floyd, I was like, whoa. I have a big, I mean, to be honest, like I have a pretty large gap, I think, in my true understanding. So I'm not going to randomly bring up yet. I mean, I'm working on it on my own. Like I'm trying to read and like understand um, from a deeper level some of these issues. But I would not be the first person to be like, let's talk about race in America because I would feel too scared to say anything. And, And I think if you don't have good education about it, it's too scary to talk about it because you don't know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and yeah. so it just never comes up because it's like, and that, that is sad. And that made me bummed that that was the reality in my own life when I, it kind of like really hit home this summer where I was like, well, you know, that's not cool. And I obviously have to keep working on it. And then another commitment I want to make is just yeah, having more diverse people on my shows and stuff and on my lineups, just because I realize now that my education was woefully inadequate, basically, um, about race. And I think most people's are about disability as well. I mean, almost everybody. And it, it shouldn't be only the people of color and the only the people with disabilities to start these conversations. They yeah, need exactly. to be included in the conversations because there is nothing worse than having a people talking about, you know, white people talking about racism only by themselves when they're oh, trying yeah, to exactly. figure it out, right? Not yeah. just their own experience, but trying to figure it out. Same with disability, right? It's oh yeah. It's bring people into that conversation. And it's it's hard sometimes because you know, sometimes you enter into these conversations discussions about disability from the person who has the disabilities and you're kind of not sure what you're entering into right oh yeah I know sometimes almost are defensive you know because there's there's just so much awkwardness and trying to get past that for all of us is an important thing to do but it, it is not the responsibility for people need to open the doors to that discussion and and that creates the this is normal this is important 
Well, yeah, that's the thing is, so I had a disabled artist on for my ADA 30 show who's black as well. And I asked before the show, I was like, do you mind if I ask like how you juggle both of these identities and like, what are some of the things you're thinking about? And she's like, no, I would love to talk about that. But I was so grateful because I feel like anytime it's a dialogue, um, I just like, I don't know. It was like a dialogue. It was just really cool that we got to include that in that show because the show wasn't specifically like, it was meant to be about disability, but then we got to have this whole other discussion that um, got into the race relations and and also how they interact. And I think um, I want to try to do that more, but you're right. It does take just recognizing that it's, it's okay to bring it up and it's not all their job. It's like a collective effort. Um, You know, it's it's not all my job to talk about disability. It's really interesting, but this is the thing. And I think that's the, that's, it probably feels the same way as other minorities, but you know how you'll be like in a discussion about disability with someone and you enter it willfully, like you, you under, like you do it on purpose, Mm -hmm. but then they start using like ridiculously terrible language and you realize like, Oh, I have to start back here, like way back at like, you know, let's, you know, and so that, that's where we just need to educate. We need to do a better job in schools. I think it's a huge part of it. Not the only part, but it's right. a huge part. Right. Like, well, and, and I think whoa. of like workplaces. I, I was uh, working at a particular place years ago and they put together a committee on disability. One person with disability was on it and she was a person who was hearing impaired and she had some other things going on and I had said, could I be a part of that? And I was pretty much told no. And I think what they wanted to do is they wanted somebody they could push around. Oh, yeah. They they could say that they had a, you know, they had a committee and aren't there, they're doing the right thing. But she wasn't somebody who was very, you know, she was very part-time, you know, there was all of these things. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is gross. Like this is offensive, so offensive. (laughs) Well, and, and the reality is, I don't think there should be any one person with a disability on a committee like that. I think you want to try to have as many disabilities represented in a committee like that, because my experience of disability is a lot different than yours in some ways. And right. and then we have some similar, like we've experienced similar issues as well. But like, I can't even, I don't want to pretend that I can say what Judy wishes the world was like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, right. like what would really help her? I mean, cause a lot of the, the thing that people don't understand is a lot of the problems with disability aren't necessarily rooted in your disability, but in the access you have to stuff in society. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, that's huge, but my access needs are a lot different than yours in many regards. And so I think in order to get any real understanding of disability, you got to start talking to different kinds of disabled people. Um, right. And understanding yeah. that one thing doesn't fix everything and, yep. you know, and that you don't know, like I have for me, one of the things that people will say to me is, well, if we got you a really big monitor, like a computer monitor, then you'd, you'd be great. And I'm like, no, I'd be, I would not help you at all. Like this is not a solution. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. That's yeah, misguided. And then, and you know, I don't, I'm generally, at least at the beginning, pretty patient when people come up with ridiculous theories. But then, but if they're not willing to learn from you, and when you say, no, that won't work, then they better be like, oh, okay. I, mean, I think it's just important to 
ask people. Same with like, what do you want to refer to your disability as? I think people should just ask the disabled person, like, do you want, what words do you use when you talk about your disability? And out of curiosity, what words do you use? Do you say legally blind? Is that how you refer to your disability? I usually, yeah, I usually say legally blind, visually impaired, usually. Um, I, I I think the words handicapped and disabled are unfortunate words. See, and that's um, what's so funny is there's so many of us, like, I identify with the word disabled personally, but I know that it's not uniform. The thing about disability is we are so diverse is that there is like, yeah, that's why you got to ask people. Cause like, it's funny. Cause you would be like, oh, I don't like the word disabled. And I would be like, I'd prefer that you identify me as disabled. And right. there you go. And that's why I think asking each person and just honoring their words, is sort of like saying what gender pronouns do you want. It doesn't have to be like all one size fits all. I think you have to be able to identify yourself and your body, like, and your experience, the way that you relate to it. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And at the same time, as a person with a disability, be a, a gentle and accepting of people who are trying and maybe using the wrong words or using, oh, yeah. not using the words you love because they're, they're making an effort and, yep. Yep. you know, they're, they're trying. And I think sometimes that's what gets people in trouble when they, they think they've got a fix for you and then you reject it. They feel like, but I am solving your problem. And they, they're <laughs> yeah. like, I thought I had this figured out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do really try. I mean, I, I you know, I've always believed that you're not going to convince people to work, to make the world better for you and people like you, if you are a jerk to them. Um, and it's just, <laughs> it's just not that, I mean, and there are some cases, I think, where you reach your tipping point and you maybe do lash out and that you can't beat yourself up about that. But overall, the more stuff gets done, the more cooperative we are, which is why I really like reading Martin. It's Martin Luther King Day. But I've read like I really resonate with the stuff he wrote because you could tell he was more about like, how do you communicate what you need in a way that gets people on board and doesn't demean them, um, which I think is important, like. He was really radical, so I'm not trying to say he was like Mr. Rogers. He had radical ideas, but he did respect, <laughs> I think, the humanity in people. And that was something that resonates with me a lot, because even though I'm frustrated by some things, if I treat you as less than me, I think that makes me no better than, you know, like I think all people are equally valuable. And that also includes people who are misguided or don't agree with me or don't, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and it's not easy to get to a place where you're actually doing that all the time, but, right. <laughs> but that's the goal. And that's kind of like what the, you know, when I read Martin Luther King anyways, like um, I hear that tone in him. And I think it's really interesting how you can look at the civil rights movement and, t and learn from it, not compare it. But like learn from that and be like, where could this apply today in like the disability rights movement? Mm -hmm. What parts of this do apply? And then obviously a lot of it's very different because it just is, you know, it's totally two different movements. But the moral like compass part of it, I think, has been interesting to read as a disability rights advocate. Right. And, and I think a lot of people are tired, right? Like that, that, like you're saying that you, sometimes you hit your tipping point and you lash out, and you know, yeah. there's, the, there's the tired and the, God, are we really still here? And, exactly. <laughs> you know, and you want to move things along faster. And, you know, so it's, 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 it's like you say, it's hard to sometimes come to that patience when, 
especially sometimes when the world sort of sometimes has this attitude towards people with disabilities where they are less than than and they are not as qualified or thinking and then you as a disabled person see them say something and you're like oh okay well if you've got this all figured out how is that thought in your head you know (laughs) yeah no I mean yeah yeah I agree it's a you know I guess who was it I listened to an Obama interview recently I think Trevor Noah interviewed him Hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear him talk about how he you know, when he was younger, he was really impatient for change. And he's like, come on, why is this taking forever? And then eventually you kind of get, what did he say? Like knocked around or whatever. And, and you realize that it's, you know, it's not always going to be as fast as you want it. And, but he's, but the, what I liked about it is he wasn't saying, so those people are wrong. He said, but you need those people because that is kind of how we move it forward. Like, Mm -hmm. unfortunately at this point, we're still at a place where disability rights is moving at what feels like a snail's pace to me but if you give up and say well whatever I guess it'll just take 150 years then it's going to take 550 years so like you need you need the people to be like kind of ready for this to be getting better you know what I mean because otherwise it's never going to get prioritized and so but it helps to hear people in other movements like civil rights I mean not that Obama wouldn't consider himself a civil rights movement person probably, but you know, he like, he's worked on these issues. Right. And so mm-hmm. to hear other people kind of say that is helpful. Cause it's like, Oh, I guess it's pretty normal that I'm feeling like, Oh my gosh, why is this taking so long? Right. You know, right. cause people, I mean, that doesn't make it like fine and dandy. It just means that yes, we're not alone in feeling like, yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we're still having this conversation. You know what I mean? Well, right. And and that's where we need to normalize it and have people with disabilities, quote unquote, in, in more powerful places. Cause because it is always like one of those comments where if uh if we had a, a president who ha- gained a disability but was a very revered president, a lot of things would change, right? I always said, you know, when I was at UMD, I'm like the cafeteria would change everything if the uh, chancellor got celiac disease tomorrow. You know, not that yeah. I wish it upon him, but my gosh, I bet you by next week we'd have a gluten-free menu. Everywhere would be posted. There'd be no question. We would have it all figured out. And it's, so it's frustrating when you know it's possible, right? And that's yeah. what makes you patient is you know it can be done and you can see the path to it if but but to help those minds move forward is really hard. Well, it's interesting to hear you say that because so I've gotten to not like super close or anything, but I've gotten to know Judy Human, who is one of the original disability rights people back in the day. She started working on the ADA. Like she was like this, the topic of Crip Camp, basically. And I've gotten to know her enough where one time we were on the phone and I was like, OK, in your honest opinion, what do you think the answer is to like move the discussion forward faster? And she's like, we have to get a lot of disabled people elected and then they can rule the world. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I mean, she was kind of kidding, but kind of not kidding because right, like, no, the, yeah. you do need that in like, I mean, there's a reason that, yeah, there's a reason that these things aren't getting done faster. And it's because people who make the decisions don't understand the issues and, and they don't affect them uh, or they right. don't think that they do. Yeah. And it's why you want to see more people with disabilities around the world doing things because they become, it's like when a celebrity gets 
a particular illness or a disease, or we find out, you know, then all of a sudden this awareness comes out. It's huge, right? People pay attention because somebody they trust or believe in all of a sudden they feel empathy for that person. Right. And so we, we are a culture where we are very much about the, the rich, the famous, the powerful, the pretty and the good looking and the whatever, but those are things we value. And so those are things that's where the empathy pile feels like it goes sometimes. Right. Um, And it doesn't always last forever, but it does tend to move things forward. It seems to me anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, what was I thinking about when you were talking about, oh man, I'm never going to remember probably, but I mean, um, some of the bigger changes that we had for disability came out like, you know, veterans were coming home with disabilities. So we Mm -hmm. started a bunch of new stuff or one of the presidents said their sister had um, a disability and it suddenly was like, Oh, you know, now, you know, cause disability was hidden away a long time too. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, do, it does take stuff like that, like people in power and then not only that, but people who are well-known. Like I, I really yes. want to see a really big artist come out and say that they're only going to play accessible places, but not only that, but like, just really make it a central part and they don't have to have a disability. I don't right. think that's even part of it. I think that, yeah, actually more able-bodied artists should be considering these things. Anyway. They would change the world. They yeah, would it wouldn't take that long. change the world. If, yeah, if Garth Brooks said he wouldn't play anywhere, <laughs> trying to pick somebody that, that everybody wants to play in their space. But if somebody said that, oh my gosh, it would, you know. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, oh, that's what I was thinking of during the pandemic. Um, you know, like all of a sudden everything's virtual and a lot of people were asking for accommodations from work to be able to work from home part time or full time. And and it was rejected again and again and again. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, less than a year. Here we are. And and it's because it affects people who make decisions and right. therefore like like decisions of power, you know the powers that be decided that this is important. And so now it's happening already. And, and it's like kind of discouraging, but it, but the goal of the disability rights movement, I think at this time is to say, okay, no, 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 you can't just take it back now and say, Oh, COVID's over. Now you definitely can't work from home if you have a chronic illness and like, say you're really having a high pain day and you could do your work at home. I believe, and it's a reasonable accommodation to say, yeah, as long as you do the work, you can do it from home. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yep. But I don't want that to go away when COVID goes away. And I think it's a little bit undetermined um, if people will remember that this also helps people with disabilities get more involved, like like absentee voting or any of that stuff, like like stuff that we did because of COVID actually made things more accessible for disabled people Right. Um, in some cases. And I think that we can't let go, like just say, oh, now let's go back to the way things were. Yeah, we have to keep that conversation forward. And I do think many people will, like as many people are looking forward to going back to the office, there's a lot of people who are like so grateful for what it offers them to not have to be at the office. Yeah. Well, I mean, even me, when I, I worked full time for one year um, in an office, like, I mean, I work, I've worked a lot, but I haven't always worked full time and I haven't always worked in an office setting. But Mm -hmm. the one year that I did the like 8, 8.30 to 4.30 or whatever schedule that it was, I could do it, but it was pretty intense. Like it takes me a really long time to use the bathroom by myself and it just takes longer to get ready in the morning and blah, blah, blah. 
So like self-care takes me longer. So it just is more energy. And then the other thing is that I had like counseling appointments and I was trying to work around because I was going through a lot of anxiety at the time. And it just felt like, wow, 40 hours a week in an office, especially like getting there. I also had to take stride, which takes a lot longer because sometimes they go pick up four other people before they bring you to right. work. Like, I mean, there's just things that made it um, just, it was a lot. And I remember thinking, man, I wish that there was more flexibility in like, yeah, working from home or still getting benefits at part-time because I think we only as a society have valued full-time in the office work. And I think that for disabled people to really not saying that I couldn't work full-time, there are plenty of disabled people that do, but I'm saying for me, I remember feeling kind of at the upper limit of what I personally could handle at 40 Mm -hmm. hours a week in an office. Mm -hmm. And I just think being more creative about what, what looks like work and allowing people to say, you know, I can easily commit to this, and do a great job, but it doesn't necessarily take away all your benefits or like, you know what I mean? I think we could be more creative. And I think COVID has helped because, you know, my sister dropped down to part-time because she had to do school with her kids. Yes. Um, And, and so it's not just disability that people in other life situations would benefit from more flexibility too. Right. It's a shame that we have our healthcare that it's tied to our employment. It would be nice if we do something different there. Yep. It's terrible. That's yeah. Disability education in the schools and healthcare not tied to employment would be like wow. my first two huge humongous changes. And they would benefit everybody. There's yeah. so much that everything would be benefited by that. Yeah. Well, and everything we've talked about, the reality is it actually benefits everybody. It's just not as visible right away on the surface. Right. Um, because even if you don't need a ramp tomorrow or a bigger bathroom cell by the time you're 85 you probably will and it just doesn't none of these things hurt people who are able-bodied and at the very least they probably will help them at some point in their life so I don't know why it has to be only talked about as like you know guy in a wheelchair it's like it really does touch all of these accommodations we're talking about um can help everybody like Instacart I started doing that during um the pandemic or whatever, but I also don't drive. And so I had to have a personal care assistant go grocery shopping with me and blah, blah, blah. And now I can just order it online. And I think that's right. Great. But it, but it helps a lot of people. It's not just people who use, can't drive and use, right. you know, it's oh. like, it really is good for a wide variety of people. Right. Yeah. No, I, I've at some of the jobs that I've had, I've had to really fight for some really simple things in large print that literally, I remember two people in one of my jobs who pulled me over, like pulled me over to the side. were like, I love that you have this. This makes this so much easier for me because my vision isn't as great as it was when I was 25. And this just makes my (laughs) life easier. And it's like, yeah, this thing that I had to fight for that was so simple costs nobody any money other people love. And they can't even admit it out loud. They had to pull me in a corner to tell me. Yeah, that's frustrating. Oh, weird. Yeah, no, that's that's totally, I've seen that before, though. Like, And I mean, that's the thing is I do captions for my live shows online. But I'm thinking about how I'm going to make my in-person shows more accessible as we go forward. I mean, I, I don't earn enough. I just don't right now to have a ASL interpreter travel with me. It's just literally, Mm -hmm. I would be in the negative a hundred percent of the time at this point, not saying forever, but 
I'm thinking like, well, could I have a lyric sheet at least? Like, and I, so I tried that. I had a lyric sheet um, on the last tour. So I said, if anyone needs lyrics, they're in the back of the room, um, you know, and, and, and uh, have some large print ones. And I, and the thing is, is that after the show, um, one of the people came up and said, you know, this was really helpful because I have trouble, like, I have an auditory processing disorder where I have trouble understanding what people are saying verbally to me. So being able to read the sh the words, I really enjoyed it more. And she doesn't know American Sign Language. She benefited from a different reason. So, like, I want to find ways to keep getting more accessible. It's not like zero to 100 necessarily, but because you don't know who's going to benefit. And, and like on my captions for my live shows, the only person I've heard, of, like there was one lady who said, this is great, I'm deaf, which is really cool because that was obviously the reason that I got them. But the other email I've received about the captions is like, I'm hard of hearing because I'm 75 and I never understand what the singers are saying. And now I finally can. And it's like, that's the reason you do it is because it really makes everything feel more welcoming for everybody, you know? Right. Yep. Yep. I have kept you way past your time. I know. I realized, oh, oh yeah, I probably should go. It's so um, sad though. Yes. So let, I want you to tell uh, everybody how to find you and, and where to find you. And then, and then do you have time for me to tell you one really quick story? Yes. Okay. So this just made me laugh because you were talking about, uh, Martin Luther King Day, and then you were talking about racial issues and discussion in our country, and this just brought up a story from a long time ago. So I did a report on Martin Luther King when I was in like elementary school. The hilarious thing about it was that it, I don't know how old I was when I realized that Martin Luther King and Martin Luther of the Lutheran Church were two different people. I thought that the church was too embarrassed to admit that it was a black guy who wrote their catechism. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. So then <laughs> it dawned on you in the writing of this report? No, I, I think I was older than that. Like, I don't remember oh. how old I was. It was after that. that I, oh, thought this, I thought that it was just they weren't telling both of the stories. So oh I was older gosh. when I realized they were two different people. Yeah, it is so funny when you suddenly are like, oh, I have been very misguided on this my whole life. Well, yeah. and I think it's funny to think that I realized racism was such an issue that I thought that my church, my Lutheran church, was too embarrassed. Oh, my gosh. To, but And admit that it was a black guy. Who that's hilarious. <laughs> Whoa. Glad you got it cleared up eventually. I know, um, but it was just hilarious. It's, yes, it was, that is. Hilarious that is how aware funny. of that I was. Yep. Oh my gosh, that is funny. Well, I'm glad. Good thing you didn't go into your 30s, believe me, Matt. Uh, and, uh, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is funny. Um, well, people can find me. Probably the easiest place is my website, which is violinscratches.com. So scratches is like a cat scratch. Um, violinscratches.com. Um, or I have a YouTube page that I'm doing shows live once a week. And they're all up archived there too after. And so it's just Galen Lee. It's G-A-E-L-Y-N-N and then L-E-A. So that's, um, and then the other places, my Patreon is um, a really huge part of how we're kind of making ends meet right now. Um, so it's patreon.com slash Galen Lee. And uh, my patrons get free access to everything I publish, basically, um, either music or writing. And then we do a monthly Zoom chat, and then they are 
kind of keeping my shows going with captioning and stuff. So it's really helpful to have um, people there. And it's becoming a more and more fun community. I do have, of course, um, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram if you search for me, but I'm not actually posting anything until I don't know if I'm ever going to go back. I have the accounts, but I took some time off to work on my book and I'm not regularly posting there. So really just YouTube and Patreon are the most active places. Um, But yeah, come find me because um, I think what I'm enjoying the most about doing music in this time is actually starting to recognize some of the people. Like there's this, this one guy from India comes every single week and they start chatting with a guy in England. And it's really cool to see this natural, there's like a natural um, development of these relationships going on that don't even really have to do with my show because they're coming every week. So it's, I would say if you want to do one thing, come check out one of the YouTube shows. They're every Sunday at two o'clock central time. Um, okay. And they're going to keep going all the way through 2021 for sure. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. And I think the next, I'm planning to do it through this year. And then we'll see when I go on the road, if it's still something that people are enjoying and tuning into and stuff. I'm thinking about even doing them on tour because it wouldn't be that hard. I mean, you don't need that much technology to do the shows that I'm doing. So there'll be a long-term thing. So yeah, I'll be around. And I will post everything in the show notes too. So cool. Well, thank you, Judy. It's really nice to chat with you. It's nice to talk to someone who like really gets it. You know what I mean? (laughs) I know. And it's always, it's always good to connect. It is. Yes. I feel you. Well, yeah. Take care and stay safe and yeah. Good luck with the rest of your podcasts. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. Again, you can find Galen Lee at com. You can also find her on YouTube and Patreon, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Galen Lee. So check her out. And if you are, again, wanting to be reminded of the songs that we played today, we played a little bit from Breathe, You Are Alive, the long way around and you're going to hear very shortly the entirety of I Wait. Check out the show notes too. I added some additional information in there about some of the things that Galen was talking about. And I went looking for some of the resources that I've found in the past when I have looked up information about Stevie Nicks and I didn't find a good solid secure source this time about her vision and her absolutely being legally blind. I found some sources that said they thought she was or that she thought she was and a kind of a mixed bag. I know the first time I heard about that was on Casey Kasem's American Top 10 and I know I have done some research on it in the past and found more confident site or confident sources than I was finding today. But I only have uh, so much time to research and I want to get the episode out. So just an FYI, I was going to post it, but I didn't find the best information today to post. So whatever you want to take from that. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. It was a great time, a great conversation and a little bit more music to come. So enjoy the music. And until next time, may you continue to find the pieces that feed your artistic soul and fit beautifully into your health and wellness puzzle. Take care. And I hope you enjoy I Wait by Galen Lee.
Remember to breathe, love. You are alive.